All right, well, we are marching right along on our dissection of the book of Daniel, and today we're moving to the sixth chapter. The sixth chapter contains an infamous story that most likely you have heard, and you probably have heard it countless times. In fact, the story we review today, known as simply the lion's den, is among the most popular, among the five most popular Old Testament stories given to children, typically at bedtime. But it's not just a story for children to receive as they get ready to go to bed. Now, it seems that the story of Daniel and the lion's den has fascinated the minds of both young and old for many, many years. And when you really get the essence of what's happening in the entire chapter, in chapter 6 with Daniel and the lion's den, you think about why shouldn't it then be fascinating to people, both old and young alike? I mean, it's a wonderful story of faith in action and diligence in prayer trust, loyalty, commitment, and much more that truly makes the story fascinating, captivating to everyone, regardless of age. But while we then, as Christians, believers, look upon the book and the review and the story of Daniel and may find it simply intriguing and fascinating, the fact is there's others who look upon this story very critical and state it as it happens to be and unfolds as completely inconceivable, that this could not really happen. I mean, could someone really be placed into a den or a pit with ferocious animals and survive it? They reasoned it could not happen that way. And they then look upon this particular story and conclude then it's unrealistic. It's just highly improbable. And say it's simply a fairy tale that just never happened. And they look upon it very critically, like I mentioned, and, and group it together with others. Then they say, this is just made-up stories to share with children. It, like, for example, Noah's Ark. They say, well, is, could it really have been where the entire earth was flooded, like was mentioned in Genesis 6 through 9? Or they look upon the story of David and Goliath. And they say, the impossibility of a stone slaying a giant, if there really even was a giant that stood nine feet tall, nine inches, could that really even happen, as it tells us in the story of David and Goliath? Or they really look upon Jonah, and they simply look at Jonah and say, really? A fish swallowed a man. And they look upon these stories and they say, there's no way these things could actually happen. It's highly improbable. They're just fairy tales to share with children to help them go to sleep at night. But we look upon these stories and we believe. As Sheila constantly tells the children, and all the children leaders tell them that what's in this Bible is true. Everything we look upon here, the stories we read, and no doubt the story today in Daniel chapter 6 of the lion's den are true encounters. And they all demonstrate conclusively together a mighty, powerful, sovereign God that we serve. But unfortunately, the critics analyze the stories, and many more like them, and they try to find the flaws in the stories. And they quickly discount them as anything but true. If they would only open their hearts and consider God's word, they would find the truth, and they would find the story is relevant, and it speaks out, and it tells us certainly of God's power and his sovereignty and his might. 
We find that again today as we look at Daniel chapter 6. It's a repetitive thing we have throughout the first five chapters of Daniel, and we see it yet again today. Actually, as we get into chapter 6, it ends the storytelling, so to speak, of Daniel. And in the next segment of Daniel, we'll get into the prophecy section, which is much more difficult, but we'll be in a couple of weeks for us to receive that as well. But today, we receive one more story of faith and trust. It's written in Daniel chapter 6. So stand with me this morning as we do to simply read the word. We're only going to read it. The first nine verses in the beginning, we read these stories in segments that helps explain some things as we go and also apply. So today we start off rather slowly. The entirety is 28 verses. We will get a chance to get them all, but today we start with verses 1 through 9. Daniel chapter 6, it reads this way. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that they might, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished, and above all the other high officials and satraps, because of the excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him as Daniel over the whole kingdom. Well, then the high officials and the satraps brought or sought to give to find the ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Well, then these men said, We shall, find, shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. We'll stop there. Father, Lord, we thank you for how we can get in once again to the book of Daniel and find an illustration of faithfulness and commitment, loyalty, and trust. But we'll see that today as we have in previous encounters and not only young men who served you, Lord, but also how you looked upon us likewise and you're loyal and faithful, committed. Lord, let us be thankful for what we shall learn here today in Daniel chapter 6 and see then how we can apply this to our lives as we live in this modern day. Yes, it was written many, many years ago, but Lord, the truth still speaks. And we invite the truth today to penetrate our heart and our minds. And we'll receive it today and be thankful for what we shall receive and apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, verses 1 through 9, if you tried to leave out this particular section of the story of Daniel and the lion's den, you would miss a lot because the verses 1 through 9 actually tell us what shall happen or gives us the characters of what shall happen in the next few verses. So it, it unfolds some things that's important to know from the very beginning pertaining to the king, which is Darius now, and Daniel himself and his now jealous conspirators. So before we go any further... We'll go back to the beginning and explain a few things that just kind of emphasize to help us with understanding. 
and application. So go back to verses 1 through 3. And note first, though, that the servants of the king, they say traps or sad traps, however you pronounce it, also known as princes by some translations, number 120. And they're all jealous then of Daniel because he apparently was one of the three higher government officials in which they would have to give an account. Now, apparently, this did not sit well with the 120. And probably add in here the fact that Daniel, by birth, was a Hebrew, didn't sit well with them either. But notice in addition, verse 3, the things for Daniel are becoming to the point where he'll be over the old kingdom. It said this Daniel became distinguished above all the others because the excellent spirit was in him. And then notice the very end of verse 3, the king planned to set him, set Daniel, over the whole kingdom. So we now figure that this is probably adding a great amount of dislike to Daniel from everyone. Now also noteworthy in these verses is that Daniel, of course, was loyal and performed his job without fail. Basically, he was excelling at everything he was doing, especially as compared to all the others. So much so, as you go back to now verses 4 and 5, they could not find any faults against him. Verse 4 says the high officials, the satraps, brought, sought to find a ground. They'd look for anything they possibly could as a complaint against Daniel, but they could not find any ground of complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. That don't make him perfect, he's done perfect with our Lord, but he was living the life that was as perfect as possible. And the conspirators could not find any fault against him. In fact, you go back to verse 5, it tells us then that they only could actually find a fault against his faith, so to speak. So in verses 6 through 9, the story tells us they used this then against him. Notice how they petitioned the king. Verses 7 and 8 says there's an injunction or an ordinance. They're just kind of getting the king to make a decree demanding worship to only him alone, to the king alone, and not to anyone else. So we understand then what's happening in the first nine verses. We pause here for just a moment because a little application emerges from the text. And note again that Daniel is excelling at his work. Above all the others, Daniel is standing out. Now, as we mentioned last week, it's notable here to make sure we understand again that most scholars and commentaries highly suggest or believe at this particular time in Daniel's life that he was well over 80 years of age and obviously had become part then of Darius' top three administrators in his government. Daniel had continually, we've seen this over and over again, he has proven himself to each particular king in the Babylonian world, happened to be Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Now in the Perds and Mesias, if they conquered the Babylonians, it happens to be Darius, but he proves himself over and over and over again to any governing official and to every king. But then while he proved himself to each pagan king, we should also note that Daniel was working with those around him, all those around him, he worked with all those people who did not believe in his God. Emphasize again, he worked more efficiently and capably than any other person. Okay, so what does all that mean? It means this. It means that Daniel because of his hard work, he attracted the attention of all the pagan kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now Darius. 
and he earned a place of respect with each and every king. And what that points to then is the first application for us this morning is that one of the best ways to, uh, for us as Christians to influence any employer we may have in this particular world is to work diligently and responsibly, just as Daniel was doing. For us to have any kind of positive influence, for us to stand out among the crowd, we should work responsibly and diligently in anything that we do. And to think about that, we should be asking ourselves, well, how well are we like Daniel? How well do we represent God to our employer, to our workplace, to the people who are watching us? I mean, it makes no difference where we work or what we do. Whether we work at Toyota, whether we work at Hanson's, we work at any kind of factory, whether it's a school corporation, whether it's Gibson County, Vanderburg County, Ward County, no matter where we work in the school, no matter whether it's construction or sales, or even if we're retired, we do things in a way to bring glory to God. We stand out among all the others. We do so responsibly and diligently so our employer or the people notice are watching us. Because as a Christian, people truly are watching your behavior. And we can bring glory to God by hard work in whatever we are doing in life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 tells us, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving Jesus Christ in everything that you do. Whether you're working or every day, going to school every day, or just simply retired, you're still representing Jesus Christ to those who are watching you. Daniel rose above the crowd. He stood out, and so should we. The second application is as such. Go back to verses 4 and 5. At the end of verse four, verse 5, again, they could not find any ground or complaint against Daniel. Again, remember, unless they connected it with the law of our God. So let us reflect then again upon Daniel's life and what he's living and, and make this application as well. That if we happen to be in our life, because of our faith, that we're facing some jealous critic because of our faith, we should simply be glad they're criticizing that part of our life because that means we are standing out then. Daniel is not like the other people. You and I, as we go into the workplace, the school, wherever we are, we're not like other people. We have faith. We have Jesus. And that should be notable to anybody watching us. And if somehow they're criticizing our faith because they see that about us, just be glad they're criticizing that part of our life because it means they're seeing Jesus through us. And then as that begins to happen, just respond then by continuing to believe and live as you should. And remember, likewise, that God is in control, and he's fighting that battle for you. You don't have to worry. Live the life that separates you from the world, from the crowd. Be the light into the world for Jesus. Be different. So Daniel and his friends are steadfastly loyalty to God. We've seen that. But there's much more to the truth and to the story, so let's go back to the text. We left off of verse 9. We have a little minor application. Now let's go back to verse 10 and read more of the story. Perhaps you know what's about to unfold. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house 
where he had his windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Well, the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Well, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So notice after the plot by the princes and the satraps, I mean, Daniel then, he doesn't disregard, he doesn't stop what he's doing. I mean, Daniel's aware of what's happening. He's one of the top governing officials in all the land. So it's not like he's unaware of something being signed that says he can't pray to God. But Daniel continues to pray to God as he always did. And notice, he didn't change the technique. He didn't change his rhythm. He didn't change the way he does it. He opened his windows. They're facing Jerusalem as he always did. He did not deviate from the fact he even prayed three times a day, just like he always did. And verse 11 informs us then that these jealous conspirators observe him praying and, of course, run to tell the king in verses 12 through 13. There's just a group of jealous tattletales. Just waiting for the moment. It's just like on the bus. Kids, I do not let kids eat or drink on the bus. It creates a mess. When they do so, and the kids all know that we have this rule on the bus, I, their kids cannot wait to tell me that so-and-so is eating and drinking on the bus. They cannot wait to tattletale. It's just like these guys are the same. They know the injunction. They know the rule. They know the law. It cannot be reversed. And they're waiting for the moment that Daniel continues to stand faithful to God. And when he does, he continues to pray. He opens his windows to Jerusalem. He prays. They can't see it. They can't wait to be the tattletale and go tell the king. So the king has learned that Daniel is not following. The, the king has a problem on his hands. I mean, if you will, it's an outright exhibition of disobedience. So how's the king going to respond? Will he be like Nebuchadnezzar? When Daniel's friends, you remember in chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their new, their new Babylonian names, when they disobeyed the order to bow to this 90-foot-tall image that Nebuchadnezzar had created, and he got mad? Is Darius going to get just as angry? Well, perhaps you know. we we'll go back to verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Well, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, there is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Let's stop there again for a moment because notice here, Rather interestingly, the king he gets displeased, but he's not really angry at Daniel. 
I mean, we find then that the interesting twist in the narrative is that the king, while being displeased, is really displeased with the fact that he had to sign this thing. Not really in the fact that Daniel disobeyed, but rather the fact he signed, he actually signed such a decree. And further then, he gets kind of upset that Daniel was caught. Which now means that the king, he's got to act upon the decree. I mean, he made it, he signed it. But what an interesting reversal in the king. I mean, if, if you go back to the very beginning, it's kind of the, 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 the conspirators played upon his pride somewhat in the beginning. And they, they kind of duped him into signing such a decree. So his pride then kind of led him into signing something. And now then, well, it's like he's shamed by his pride. Because now he has to kind of save face by the fact he has to act upon the decree and the law that he signed. In the injunction in the ordinance. Now, some people actually stop here for a moment as they look into Daniel's story and with the king making that decree, and they look into you know modern day and they begin to ask, well, why couldn't, why could not the king, if he's truly the king, why could he not just reverse it? I mean, why, why could he just not say, okay, this law is no longer valid and just do away with it? Well, in the Babylonian world, the king's law was world. The king's word was law. And it didn't change then with the, the Middle Persian Empire. When a law was made, even the, the king, yes, even the king could not change it. And Darius then was an effective government administrator, but he had one fatal flaw that people kind of played upon for the moment, which was a pride, as we mentioned. So by appealing to his vanity, the men talked to rise into signing the law, effectively making himself only a God that could be worshipped for the next 30 days. And it could not be less than 30. It could not be broken. Not even by an important official, not even by a Daniel, who was one of the higher governing officials. It still had to be done according to the law. And enforcement then must be happening as was decreed. So then Daniel, I mean, he's caught in the act. And the king, although maybe he didn't want to, he had to now deal with Daniel. Again, it's the law. The law and decree was written for any defiance would be death by lions. So he had then to place Daniel in the den or the pit of lions, which, of course, then everyone would expect result in Daniel's painful, humiliating death. But let's return to the story. You know. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion. He had no choice. He, he had to put Daniel into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at, day, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, 
The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Well, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and then not harm me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Wow. It's not the first time you've heard the story. But just every time you hear, it's just an incredible illustration of faith and trust of Daniel to God. Notice in this last section of verses that we just read, when things begin to unfold and, and the king Darius has no choice but to fulfill the law, notice who is standing with Daniel. I mean, is anyone really with Daniel? I mean, this story in chapter 6 is similar in respect, as we'll get to in a moment, to chapter 3. But here, it is similar in that you have no mention of Daniel's friends. In Daniel chapter 3, when it pertained to Daniel's friends, you had no mention of Daniel. So we ask ourselves, we, we're curious minds will know where everybody's at. And we don't know the answer, but we look upon it and we say, well, who is standing with Daniel at this particular moment? As things unfold, he has broken the law, and he has to go to the lion's den. Who's with him? Who's standing with him? And as we look upon the text that began examined between the lions, the, the lions, we see the person, the closest person really standing with him is the king. In verse 16, he actually, I mean, he feels terrible for what he has, has to do, and he tells Daniel, before Daniel goes into the den, he says, may your God whom you serve continually, deliver you. So Daniel really is all alone. I mean, God is with him, of course. But the only mankind person near Daniel through this incident, it's not the conspirators. Of course, they want to see this happen. But the king is displeased and distraught. He couldn't even sleep. He has no regard to eat. So he's the only one standing, perhaps, with Daniel. But for the most part, Daniel was standing alone. I mean, he knew the law. Again, there's no surprise to him. He was one of the higher government officials. He knew he was not supposed to do this, but yet he did. Three times per day, he continued to pray to God. Let me say it again. He knew the law. It was not a surprise to him. This new decree, this new ordinance, this injunction was placed into the kingdom. He was defiant to the law. Man's law. The king's law. He knew he was to pray to God. He did so continually. He did so three times a day in the same pattern he always did. This means that Daniel had a disciplined prayer life. He made no attempt to hide his daily prayer routine from his enemies, even though the law was, had been made. He continually got on his knees, and he disobeyed this new law. He would not let anything keep him from his devotion and daily prayer to God. He would not let anything 
keep him from his daily devotion and prayer to God. So we ask ourselves now, well, as compared to Daniel, how's our prayer life? You know, our prayers are sometimes interrupted in life. I mean, not by threats like this king's decree, of course, but sometimes it happens because of the pressure of life and daily schedules that we try to keep. So what we learn here from Daniel is another, another application that in our prayer life, which we should have, do not let threats or pressures cut into your prayer time. Pray regularly. Pray regularly no matter what. For prayer is your lifeline to God. That's an important point that emerges from this text, from this story. Make prayer a regular pattern and habit in your life. It's your lifeline to God. Don't lose connection to Him. Years ago, there was a movie called The War Room. Some of you may have seen the movie. It's simply about prayer, even though it doesn't mention in the beginning. When you begin to watch the movie War Room, you finally, you quickly learn it's all about prayer. And this this lady, his, this woman who's got her husband she thinks it's cheating on her a little bit, and she goes to another older lady, confides into her what she thinks is happening, and the older lady leads her to the power of prayer and tells her that she, if she doesn't have a prayer life, that she needs to start one. That prayer is powerful. And find some place where you're all by yourself and you just get alone with God and you pour out your heart. Well, the wife goes back to the house and she empties her closet. You know how many things women have in the closet? It just takes some time to do. I work with women that have 150 pairs of shoes in one closet. I don't understand that. I mean, look, I got I got hay dudes on. I never thought a pair have a pair of hay dudes, but when I put them on, they're so comfortable. I just wear them all the time. But I may have six, seven, eight other pairs of shoes in the closet. Men, why do women have over 100 pairs of shoes? Oh, no, they're not free. Believe me. Husbands know. So anyway, she goes back to her house. She cleans out her closet. Again, it takes some time, but she, the point is she cleans out her closet. It becomes her prayer place. She makes her closet the most important time in which she'll be pouring out her heart to God. If you've never seen the movie War Room, rent it, do it, buy it, do whatever. See the movie. Powerful. It makes the illustration to make our point that you do not let anything stop you from praying to God. He is our lifeline. It's the way we connect to Him. Do not let daily schedules interrupt your prayer time. Find a way to pray. Daniel found a way to continue to pray each and every day, just like he did before, defiant to the king's orders. Make a point to pray. I've worked with people who told me they had no time in the morning as they got ready, so they would simply pray on their drive to work. Now, for that particular person, it was a 30-minute drive. I don't recommend that necessarily, but it illustrates how he still found it important to pray every morning as he got up and went to work. My boss, who has a chicken business, he told me his he created a favorite place to pray, which was his favorite tree in his yard. 
He would just simply go out early in the morning, sit under the tree, and he began to pour his heart out to God and pray. Find a place to make it an important part of your life to pray to God. It is your lifeline. Daniel knew this. And although Daniel, I mean, he, he was defiant, he, he knew. Daniel knew as he began to have his life unfold that he was not going to get help necessarily from the king or anyone around him. He knew the only help he really could depend on was God. And he poured out his heart to God. Now there's an important theme that begins to emerge also after this particular point. That brings us to one of our themes here with the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Because as things unfold, Daniel's praying to God. Obviously, God does save him from these ferocious man-eating lions. But here's the point that we're trying to make now as we get into the second segment of the book of Daniel in chapter 6. God does not always save us from trials, but he saves us through the trials. I mean, Daniel was placed into a den of hungry lions. A stone was placed on top of it. The king put his ring on it to make seal that it could not be broken. I mean, literally, there is no way out. There's one way in, and there's one way out, if you can survive it. Now listen, it's lions. He's placed into a den of lions. It's lions. You know what a lion is? It's a lion. This is not some cute little puppies. It's lions. He's with man-eating, ferocious lions. Lions known as the king of the jungle. Are you with me? The king of, this is who he's with. I mean, lions roamed the countryside in the forest, and the people feared them, but greatly respected their power. Some kings hunted lions for sport. The Persians captured the lions the best they could, keeping them actually in cages where they were fed and attended, actually keeping them at this particular moment for someone who was disobedient to be fed to the lions. So everyone is expecting Daniel to, he's disobeyed, now he's going to be devoured by the lions. It most likely has already happened probably by people who are already disobedient to the king. But Daniel, as the story unfolds, we recognize, we already know this, that Daniel was delivered from the lions. So as we know that part of the story, the second theme comes up and we ask ourselves, well, why? Why did Daniel get spared? Why did Daniel get delivered from these ferocious man-eating lions? I can think of two reasons why Daniel got spared from the lions. And the first is the fact that he was found innocent, as even declared in the word that we read. He was innocent in God's sight. And the second is he trusted God. He was spared, he was rescued, he was delivered because he was innocent and because he trusted God. Now note then, if you will, the fact that this similar and parallels to Daniel chapter 3, we talked about it earlier. Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6 seem to have some common ground. And maybe it's even intentional because the stories demonstrate, once again, the faithfulness and devotion and steadfastness and the loyalty and the trust that young men had in God, that mankind has in God, particularly these four men. The only difference really between chapter 6 and chapter 3, chapter 3 was when you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about earlier, who disobeyed the order of King Nebuchadnezzar to bow to the image. Now you have Daniel disobeying the law 
is still praying to God. The only difference is who it is and what they ultimately did. One disobeyed the order for bowing to the image. The other disobeyed not to pray to anyone or to worship anyone but Darius. They're similar. They're similar, especially in the fact that the people who are involved are spared, rescued, and delivered. In both chapter 3 and chapter 6, the heroes who are faithful to God, will they even die if necessary, are spared, rescued, and delivered. Why? Why Daniel? Why his three friends? It shows us that we should never give up. And we have to place our faith and trust in God. He knows the greater good. He knows what's about to happen. And he can use it all to his glory. In fact, it's always premature to give up. Never give up. Never give in to any particular pressure of an unbeliever. They can mock you, ridicule you, do whatever. But never give up to an unbeliever. Because there, God has power to heal nothing about. I mean, God has so much power. We learn in this particular chapter, he can even shut the mouths of lions. But the observation here has been made that God does not always save us from trials, but he saves us through trials. And perhaps you're wondering, what exactly you're talking about? What is the meaning? And, and think about then what unfolds in this story as compared to others. Like, for example, Job. You know, Job was, yeah, he was spared ultimately. I mean, he was healed of everything that happened to him. But, you know, Job was a faithful follower as well, and he truly suffered. And God later rescued him, but he had some suffering. And maybe Daniel and his three friends had a little suffering too, but we see their rescue, we see their deliverance. Or maybe there's Jeremiah in the Old Testament that who compl he complained bitterly time and time again about his sufferings from Pasher, who placed him in stocks, mocked him, ridiculed him in the public square. But then maybe we should actually consider the New Testament, where it's written over again that sometimes God delivered people from prison, while other times the people were simply persecuted. People who were faithful to God, just like Daniel and his friends. In Acts chapter 12, James is killed by King Herod, while in the same chapter, Peter, the disciple, is released and delivered by an angel from prison. Or in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are flogged for spreading the gospel and the good news. But in chapter 7, Stephen was martyred for doing the same. I mean, just as it seems to be, there are times when God delivers his people who are faithful, and other times when they seem to be martyred. So how can we make sense of that? I tell you that the actions of both speak volumes to those who are watching us. Remember, people are watching you. I mean, yes, God does sometimes act in history to save his people from harm. But even when he does not, the faith of those even martyred is still an awakening to many, many people who are watching you. See, we're going to endure trials. But your faith in God will bring you through that trial. No matter what may happen. It may be God's particular time to bring you through it of being unharmed. 
or you may have a little harm come through. But he'll bring you through the trial as you faithfully trust him. He brought Daniel through this trial. But Daniel and his friends that we found in chapter 3 were willing to die regardless than to compromise their faith. You're going to endure the trial, but your faith in God will bring you through the trial. Let me go back to the story. Let's finish up. We're at post-rescue. Notice in verses 19 through 24, Daniel, as we mentioned, is rescued and delivered. It all comes now crashing down on the conspirators. Verses 19 through 20, the king has immense trouble sleeping, as we mentioned. He shows his compassion for Daniel. In the first light, he comes rushing to the lion's den, calling out for Daniel in an expectant sort of way that Daniel is going to make it through the night, that Daniel has been spared, that God has saved Daniel. And, of course, Daniel answers the king, O king, live forever, and explains then the almighty, powerful, faithful God that saved him from the mouths of the lions. Subsequently, then, the king, in verse 24, condemns the conspirators to the punishment by having their turn in a den of lions, and it was not such a good outcome for them. But the king now seems relieved. But then notice, ultimately, how he recognizes God in verse 25. The king Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. There is the end of the story, the end of the chapter. The king makes a new decree like kings like to do, but he acknowledges at the same time the power of God, which points to two remaining truths before we complete this time. Number one is this, according to verse 26, we mentioned before, God's kingdom will never be destroyed. Yes, God's kingdom will endure forever. Amen? God's kingdom will endure forever. And the second powerful point that comes through this also another truth, that God alone rescues and saves. And he does this through his son, Jesus Christ. He rescues and saves. He saves all of us. Yeah, we may have a trial in life, as we mentioned, but ultimately we have been saved if we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God alone saves through his Son. His kingdom shall endure forever. That's Daniel chapter 6. That's actually Daniel the first six chapters. Amazing stories of confidence, faithfulness, and trust in God. We see over and over again a powerful thread, common thread throughout the first five chapters that men depend upon God. Four men become a testimony, living for the awesome power of God who worked within each of these men's lives to display his sovereignty. The question really becomes, what about you? We see powerful illustrations in all the first six chapters of four men who actually are devoted to God and make a testimony. 
to powerful rulers, to empires, to armies, to unbelievers all around them. They make a living testimony to the mighty, awesome power of God, their faithfulness and devotion. It won't waver. No matter what you do to these four men, they're going to stand fast to God. But the question really becomes, as we end this particular first section, if you will, of Daniel, first six chapters completely different from the last six. But now what about you and what about me? Are we devoted to God just as these four men have been and we've seen over and over and over again? Are we allowing our life to be a testimony to the goodness of God? If not, we need to ask ourselves why. Why aren't we just as devoted? Why aren't we just as loyal and faithful and trusting? Maybe the final point is, do not let life happen to you. Don't just let life happen to you. But rather let God happen in your life. Don't let life just happen all around you. But let God happen in your life. Father, Lord, we thank you for how we can look into Daniel and find truth and application and powerful testimonies. Lord, we should look upon Daniel and now maybe even ourselves and have our life to be such a, such a testimony as these four men we've been finding in these six chapters we've covered so far. So then, Lord, with that, I pray for all of us here today as individuals to be that light, to be that shining light, to be noticeably different in all this ugly world. But I pray, Lord, not for us as individuals to have that difference that's noticeable, but also our family here at church. Let this church, Lord, be noticeably different. Let's do things, Lord, that you want us to do to bring glory to you, not for self. Lord, we do also thank you for how you do rescue us. Or perhaps we get selfish at times and we pray certain things for a certain deliverance. But let's ultimately recognize that you truly have delivered us. You truly have saved us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Without Jesus, Lord, we'd be simply lost into a dark world. So I thank you, Lord, for the gift you've given us to all mankind. Of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.